0: Blog Talk radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around
1: I hope everyone is off to a great start to the week with no echoes. Hey, it, it's rewarding when guests remind us of their upcoming conferences and you know, a couple of days after they you know, returned home, you know, they uh, sent us an email and uh, tell us you know publicity helped to bring n- new faces to the venue. And Barbara and I got uh, received a very appreciative email from Mike Kolakuri yesterday thanking us for helping to promote this year's AAPS conference. So thank thank you, Mike. Um, a few weeks ago, we had Michael Feely as a guest, and he gave us a sneak peek of his presentation at the Global Pyramid Conference. Um, and my friend, uh, Bruce Cunningham, contacted me Uh, or connected me to Marta Thomas about five years ago as she was getting uh, her global pyramid conference underway and under Marta's uh, guidance the conference has grown and she has sent to Barbara and me uh, great guests over the years and and she's going to be talking Uh, to us for a few minutes here at the beginning of the show. And um, if you want to learn more about the conference, the website is globalpyramidnetwork.com. And we also have uh, Jared Murphy. He's the author of It's Not Aliens, Worse, It's Us. Uh, returning for about the third time to discuss his latest expedition to the Grand Canyon and explorations in the area of where the Kincaid Cave was. So uh, we have two great guests, so kick back for the next uh, couple hours and enjoy. Uh, hi, Hi, Marta and Jared. How are you?
2: Terrific. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for having
3: us
1: on, Mark. This is great. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great two hours. So, um, Marta, uh, when and where is the Global Pyramid Conference?
2: The conference is coming up soon, October 22nd to the 24th, and it's going to be live streamed. And on Saturday night, we are going to have a party inside a pyramid house in Chicago, Illinois, just about 25 minutes north of the city to a town called Wattsworth, Illinois. We will have live Middle Eastern music and we're going to have um, some um, <clears throat> some guests as well during the evening and some dancing and some vendors just to have fun. But the rest of the time during the during the day, we will have... The conference live stream is a three-day event. It's $99 for Friday, Saturday and Sunday. We begin on Friday at 12 o'clock. And we have an amazing group of people, as always. It's just fascinating what people are doing with pyramids. And on Friday in particular, we are going to have an interactive ANC initiation with one of our guests, Rohit from Switzerland. So um, among the many things you're going to hear and see, that will be um, really, really unique. We also have a man named George Gelly from Louisiana, who is going Uh to tell you about the first pyramid ever found in the United States and where it's located. And it comes along with an, um, with an ancient civilization that no one has uh, ever spoken about. So that's going to be revealed on Sunday. We also have Valerie Uvarov from Russia, who is uh, just absolutely amazing. He will be revealed some very unique and um, very unique information about pyramids. He himself Uh has built 13 pyramids in an area just outside of St. Petersburg, Russia. And he has one center pyramid and 12 surrounding it. And he has uh, built it, remembering what he had done in in past lives. So uh, that he'll be talking about on Saturday afternoon. We also have Sam Osmanaji from Bosnia the discoverer of the biggest pyramid ever found so far. Uh-huh. And it's a set of five different pyramids, one of which, pyramid is so big that the people in town thought it was a mountain. And just to give you more or less an idea of how big this thing is, it takes half hour by car to go from the town, not the base of the pyramid, to the plateau of the pyramid on top. Imagine Half hour by car, so he will be talking about the vibration inside the pyramid. One of the things they found and recorded was sound emanating from the stones in the sun pyramid and this was recorded in different parts of the pyramid at five o'clock during a winter month and he will be talking about that. We also have Marika Berenson from Spain who will be speaking on Sunday morning about the connection of the pyramids and uh, the heart which tend to think about it uh, as even having a connection she's also going to discuss a project that we're doing uh, internationally with all pyramids to raise the vibration inside the pyramid as well as throughout the planet and I can go on and on We have just completely amazing uh group. I hope uh everyone uh, is able to uh be part of this and uh join in to to the conference. Do you have questions and, for me yeah, and, and
1: it sounds like uh like dr Sam and uh america uh, are kind of focusing on some of the he- healing aspects of uh, the pyramids
0: uh,
3: Actually,
1: that seems yeah. to be a, it, it seems like it's you know part of the theme of the th- this year's conference.
2: We have um a speaker who is going to tell you how he was able to heal his daughter's hole in her heart. By using pyramid water and pyramids in three months the doctors were astonished when they uh, retested her after having found this hole in her heart and three months later they come back and there was nothing the, the heart was completely healed so yes we will be talking about hearing the body as well
1: okay you know, we've heard uh you know, when Perry's been a guest with us uh she, she's spoken about uh you know, the, the uh healing potential of pyramids and when when Maria Wheatley was a guest uh she's uh, spoken about you know, Stonehenge could be seen as a uh a hospital it it, it did attract uh bull from uh distant lands to uh come there to be healed so it it re- really seems like there's something to uh these the energies emanating from the uh these megalithic structures or you know going back even farther than that
2: well one thing people have over the decades and in- have always put the emphasis on the Egyptian pyramids um, mm-hmm. and the, the Egyptian plateau. But remember, we didn't roll out of bed one day and say, well, I'm going to build this humongous um, pyramid that nobody has ever done, in which one stone is 5,000 tons. Um, there was an in-between. There was an in-between. We don't know at this point what the ancients used pyramids for. But something has to be done way before that building that we now know as the, you know, it's a pyramid. Something, and many somethings were done prior to that. What did the people use pyramids for before building that pyramid? That is uh, something I'm really interested in finding out. And hopefully we will in the near future find out through people being able to remember the past lives and the things they have done. And by coming together as we're doing now, it is wonderful to see the vendors and the speakers and the attendees come together. Magic happens there. Okay.
1: And you'll be getting, uh, the presenters will be discussing pyramids from R- Russia, Egypt, um
2: uh, it? E- India, Ecuador. Philippines. Yeah. So it, yes. It,
1: yes. There, so, so there will be perspectives uh, given from pyramids located around the world. So it's a comprehensive look at pyramids.
2: That is one of the uh, many reasons I've do been doing this. Because people, again, put the attention in Egypt, but pyramids are found worldwide. And God only knows how many pyramids we have yet to find. That they are there, they're covered, we don't see them, so we don't know they exist. Bosnia Pyramid, who is the largest pyramid so far found, is one of those. It's completely covered. The town thought it was a mountain for the longest time. And... uh, it was amazing, Sam came in, and uh, Dr. Sam came in and uh, discovered that it's not a mountain, but how many times and how many places in the earth the same thing is happening over and over again, but people think it's a mountain, and it's not. So there's a lot to be discovered, but the answers need to be in what did we do before we build this gigantic pyramids? And what did we do, the time that we got up one morning and the process of going to build the pyramid. What were we doing in between that we have such keen interest in pyramids that we decided to build such a big, massive pyramid that cannot even be duplicated today with the technology that we have? So how did we use them in the past? Okay.
1: So there will be pl- plenty of answers
2: and
1: and... How do people it, – it's a um, um, webinar this year, is that correct?
2: Yes, it's, live, it's being live streamed, and you can watch it not only that weekend, but for several weeks after. So, you have plenty of time.
1: Okay. And we'd love to have
2: so, it, you guys join.
1: Okay. So um uh, and – All the information is on your Um, website, GlobalPyramidNetwork.com?
2: Or Global Pyramid Conference. Either one will take you to the same site. And we have most of the the speakers posted already. And again, that's September 22nd to the
1: 24th. October.
2: October, yes.
1: And you have... many of the presenters are uh professional people uh medical doctors uh, you know Michael Feely Researcher. was a yeah he uh he he was a uh a retired Thanks, police please. officer yeah
2: yes yes a complete turn around no
1: yes uh, cor- correct yeah, these it looks like a very um well-educated group of presenters.
2: Yes, indeed.
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, Jared, do you have any questions or?
3: Oh yeah. Um, as long as, <laughs> as long as we have a couple of minutes, that'd be great.
1: Um, sure. 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 Go ahead.
3: So uh, there's so many different directions we could go with this and I would love to have you on not aliens too on my, on my podcast, discovering lost history. But uh first while we're on air. One of the things I mentioned right away in my book uh, is the pyramid that's off the coast of Cuba. And yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with that one. That's 2,300 yes. feet mm-hmm. deep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're given you are the, I mean, not to put you on the spot, it's the global pyramiding network guru. But uh, what <laughs> for all the things that I'm working on, I really want to know if you've ever heard any updates specifically on that one or anything else that's as anomalous as, I mean, because by my estimates and research, that thing could have been, yes, including the theory of hydrostatic plate shifting. There's no way that that pyramid by any other means was above, uh, you know, on the surface or shore less than 50,000 years ago. And that really puts us closer and really puts us back to Mount Toba going off. Seventy-five thousand years ago. So we talk about when and how long these things have existed, and there's there's a good evidence about the antiquity. But my question, I guess, backing it back up is, uh, do you know why, or if anything else has been done with any research on that complex since in the last fourteen years?
2: Now that I'm aware of, no. Um, it is, seems like and a why do you think? Sound, well, it's all about. Uh, we have been given a a set of, um, what can I call it, um, a set of uh, years and Dharma in regards to what our path is or was, and perhaps if we start digging, um, it does not fit the mold or what we've been told is our path. I can tell you one particular pyramid that has been uh, tested and tested and in research is the Bosnian pyramid. And that pyramid is tested scientifically to be 29,000 years older than what we have been told is the beginning of civilization. Well, if that's the case, then who built it if we were not here? so. Um, the pyramid we are going to divulge uh, at the conference it is in that general facility and um, we don't know how old it is but is a it comes with a city that is been uh, buried uh, for decades and eons so hopefully in time we that can also be researched and more found out.
3: Do you have another question? The, um... Yeah, I Mark, hope
1: you I am. You. Or- oh yeah, yeah. Mark- I just, um, I, I just want to make sure Marta gets maximum coverage.
3: Oh, great, good. So, because <laughs> I like, to, it,
1: it, I- <laughs> it, 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 it's great. She, you know, she, she's having a great time with us. This, this is why, this, this is why we, you know, keep, keep doing this. Uh, you know, for, we've been doing this for the last five years, so we have fun. It's a good
3: time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So one of the I guess if since we have time and yeah, I do field research and of course I've written, but the the pyramid, that entire worldwide complex of pyramids always fascinates me for the <laughs> the, the the common construction methods, et cetera, et cetera. Have you ever in the course of your uh conferences or have you had Doctor Joseph David Ovitz speak Uh, from his work in the 80s about the geopolymers, not uh, so many people get hung up on an elementary conversation about is the Great Pyramid, or like you said, uh, one, two hung up on Egypt, totally agree, but two, I'm not, I don't think that it was a geopolymer built pyramid, but what I find interesting is the antiquity of a machine that either through natural disaster or through weaponized maybe some or some mechanical failure, at some point geopolymers were used to patch that pyramid. And so I'm wondering with like the Bay and Cadiz that's been found to have that Teflon, like, like Merlin Burroughs, did that work on that, that, you know, I know they said Atlantis, but the reality is that there are ancient silicates, concretes, geopolymers. And I was just hoping that maybe since uh, you're covering a whole side of the universe that I can't wait to talk to you more on after this is, is Dr. Joseph Davidovitz ever been involved with any of your work or have you been able to talk to him at all? And is there anything? Uh...
2: You know, um, Go. basically um, up to now, I had fallen into a crack, so to speak. Uh, my gift is that I don't have the credential of all these wonderful um, hardcore researchers have I am an average person that has an average interest, or maybe a little more than average interest in pyramids. I am like the next person who wants to know more about what happened here, how these things get to be, why are they there, and so on. So my not knowing has gotten me to this. That's my gift. And I am not a researcher. I am not a Ph.D., but I am organizing and putting together uh, a part of pyramids that had not been touched before. By that I mean, it was six years ago, it was unheard of to have that we even had people doing work with pyramids, you know, in in their backyard, inside their house, doing healings with pyramids. That was unheard of. There was no place to go to find them. Nobody knew about them. So I am trying to be the in-between person to connect the dots, so to speak, with the people that are doing this work, phenomenal work, but nobody hears about it because there's no place to showcase them. And this is what I've been doing now for like, well, my six years of doing this, and hopefully we go further. We have some plans uh, in the near future to continue working with pyramids, to start using, hopefully, the pyramids, as everybody get together and, and put their uh, their input into how pyramids were were done, were worked on, and used in the past, hopefully we can put all that information together and begin to see a, a more clear picture of pyramids. And again, my emphasis is in that that void between building a pyramid in Egypt and rolling out of bed in the morning. There's a huge gap there that i like to find more about. And the only way to do this is if we connect. I use the term uh, often pyramid family coming together because that's how I see is happening. I hope to help so, <laughs> you. Well, it, 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 yeah,
1: yeah, uh, th- there is a big market for ancient history, lost knowledge, uh, i'm sure jared would uh concur with that and you know I, you know w- wiser you know the pop- you know the popularity of ancient aliens for what fifteen years
3: mhm yeah yeah
1: yeah 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 you know, uh, now's the um time to really get um connect with you know, uh, people who are interested in watching a conference or attending one you know, once you know, the, those are allowed to happen again but it, people really want to know like yeah. have a great uh f- forum uh established and you've know, so, so many you know, connected us to so, so many great uh uh, speakers
3: yeah i i do think that we need to i think the popularity of having platforms like this and what you're doing at the end of october is uh perfect to get people mm-hmm. to uh, it it's a it's a casual interest and i've I've often talked about people's stored genetic memories collective consciousness the reality is that all that pulls together and the most casual viewer listener can have a memory jogged or uh, just an interest that goes beyond just one simple uh view into a question that maybe nobody's ever asked
2: Go ahead. Yeah, Or yeah totally you
1: know, just that you know just say that section on uh the pyramids in high school really wasn't long enough and you know twenty years later you know, some someone is you know never really lost the enthusiasm for that subject, but you know he or she just wants to know more and uh, i you, know, you just keep- uh, uh the more Barbara and I keep talking with people and, and you know and we hear that we get feedback feedback um, like that from people
2: yes yeah. there's a group of people um. That just absolutely are connected 100% to pyramids, and they they can talk about it for hours on end, and they're so excited to come across someone else that they can talk about pyramids with. Uh, and they, they they just light up when that happens. It's quite magical. Back in the 70s, there seems to be a humongous uh, surge in pyramid interest and pyramid books and pyramid experiments and they all seem to mm-hmm. have died down by the beginning of the eighties. And unfortunately, uh most of the people that wrote the books back in the 70s are no longer with us to tell us what that was about. But um let's see if it happens again.
0: I well, think we're
2: you know, that that can be something that's coming up our way as to
1: um, the interest well, in pyramids again well you know, marta but probably by the nineties and the appearance of the x files and, and and you know with the ancient a alien series a few years later uh all that's being revived, you know you hear a lot of people still talking about um um Leonard Nimoy's in search of. Mhm yes, um I, you know, there's just a lot of people just wanting to know it, it it they want to know more because you know, I think times are changing, and the old guard is uh dying off, and all that they had hidden is coming to light now.
2: Yes. Um, I hope that's the case. Yes. There's so many unanswered questions in our history. And you know, when you look back and things don't add up necessarily. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Okay. Uh,
1: um, you know, uh, Marta, we've kind of kept you a little bit over. I hope, hope that didn't... Yeah. Uh, Um, bother you too much. Uh, (laughs) Is is there anything with which you want to conclude and we'll let you uh, get your uh, jammies on and get ready for bed?
2: (laughs) I just want to be sure to invite everyone. To join us at the Global Pyramid Conference, October twenty second to the twenty fourth, do go online and check it out. You'll see, and, uh, you see, and you see, we'll see what you think. Thank you so much for having me. Oh well,
0: t-
1: thank you for uh, you know, being a great supporter of our shows over the years, and you know we have a great. Uh, reciprocal relationship going on and we look forward to continuing talking with you in the years to come.
2: Likewise. Thank you so much, both of you. You're nice. All
1: right. All right. Take care, Marta. <laughs> Good night. Okay. That was an interesting discussion. All- fascinating subject too so uh, okay let's uh, move from pyramids to your recent trip to Arizona your yeah um, yeah let's let's get into the fabled Kincaid Cave what what got you interested in this subject
3: oh it's crazy i wish it didn't all overlap with my original book but it was uh probably 5 years ago you know i didn't intend to it whether you use the word conspiracy or whatever your ancient mystery history is every single every conspiracy every mystery somehow gets all piled together and so as i was sorting through the piles of everything from Ancient engineered soils to pyramids to, you know, the practice of Peru and ancient DNA and all of this is avalanching on top of avalanching. And then, OK, well, the entire in my original research, this entire world seems to be way more connected, uh, way outside of what we think of our standard academic history and up comes a story as I'm doing my original research way back. I spent hours. I was just fascinated by the idea that uh, you know you go quickly from you get you you accelerate very fast past the Templars you know Vikings and Templars in America to wait the Egyptians were here oh wait the Chinese were here uh, and then you hear about this tomb and I just was fascinated by it.
1: Okay, so uh, when were you there?
3: So. Uh, fast forwarding you know I wrote my book and started doing a lot of shows guesting and hosting and then uh, one day about four months ago it just came up that you know on my list of places to go that was one of them and you know with the situation around the world right now being what it is uh, right now we've put off a very large expedition that I've been planning with Jendeo to Peru and I'm like look I I know climbers, uh, very expert climbers. I climb. uh, There's going to be some significant rope work involved. We have the equipment. Let's go. And I ended up doing an interview with uh, Rex from Leak Project. And he said, well, Uh I'm going to the Grand Canyon. And I said, well, I'm going to the Grand Canyon. And he goes, let's go together. (laughs) So we ended up meeting in Arizona. Uh, We planned for about a month, uh, which each of us had already been planning for over three months, trying to get the right research down, trying to figure out where we we're going to go to find. A, there's a mile marker where the cave's supposed to be, so we ended up there uh, for about a week and over uh, Labor Day. So we went uh, end of August into September. So this is a very recent expedition to Navajo Nation land and the Grand Canyon uh, public lands to see if we could locate the cave, the fabled cave that people have been chatting about now for, what, 112 years, give or take, um, well, actually longer. So he, the, the first article, there were two articles that were not on April Fool's. They came out in 1909, 1908, that period. And so we have, uh, well, that puts us 113. Is that about right i, I we, don't, we, don't do math, we don't
1: do math on night light
3: yeah that's not cool that's how we feel <laughs> uh but yeah so we went and uh that, that the whole story around the cave what's really important and significant is the story as usual uh massive find in the united states or fill in the blank somewhere in the world Smithsonian comes british museum comes governments come And whether it's for ancient high technology or even like pyramids for healing, they come and they took all the mummies that G.E. Kincaid said he found along with a Buddhist statue that there was either Oriental and or Egyptian-like symbols within within the cave. And it was a system of caves because he went further into it and swore he found an also underground large city or city-like area, the point where he, where he is on the river when he does this in Marble Canyon, it's described only in these two articles. So when we were up above, it is a bit of a feat to find where well, it's specifically past a set of rapids within a mile or half mile or within a few hundred feet based on the description of the Articles. So we know exactly where in Marble Canyon it's the Quagunt Rapids, and you can get on a group by lottery because so many people want to do these trips in the canyon, but you have to have a permit to give you an idea how dangerous it is. Uh, the day before I left, besides the heat warnings that went to September 1st that said, if you're trekking into the canyon on a day permit or an overnight permit, like you can walk into the canyon via a permit but you're recommended to be done you have to get down on the switchbacks into the canyon prior to 10 a.m because it gets so hot you need to get into the shade you need to be in the canyon by the time the sun is past 10 a.m and then you're not supposed to hike out of the canyon before three and two days before i went two guys hiked into the canyon only one guy came out and they weren't even hiking together the other guy actually I mean, it's a river, it goes left and right. You know what I mean? And he, well, there's a little more room in the canyon if you start uh, dawdling around, but he got lost and a rescue crew took three days to find him. And when I got back from the trip, two days after the trip, there was an article that said an emergency rescue crew went looking for a European that got lost. And they found someone that had been missing since 2015. And he was not alive, <laughs> but wow. they had been. Look, yeah. So that's how dangerous the can the canyon is. No joke, for eating people.
1: Hmm. So, so I'll so, write I, I up a, a, a little bit on uh, the cave and. Uh, Kincaid noticed it from the river, so uh, so basically you cannot see it from like standing on you know one like canyon wall, look over um, you know across the river to you know, the rock outcropping on the other side. It is, does it seem? You know, from Kincaid's uh, descriptions that it's better viewed from, you know, the lower angle from the river.
3: Yeah, it's so interesting because there is so many different sedimentary layers within the canyon over what they think is at least a billion years of history of the formation. I mean, this is the, the canyon is... Theoretically dating back to Pangaea and its formation is from the stresses, also possibly from the breaking up of the land masses. But there's so many different geological layers. There's all this oxidation and there are tons of uranium mines in the Grand Canyon to the point where oh. when I left the canyon, yeah, the, the government's been mining uranium in out and near the Grand Canyon since the 50s and on top of it they have currently from what i can tell over 500 open uranium mining permits for the Grand Canyon uh which i'm all for having the mri machine work and uh my dental you know x-rays and uh nuclear weapons i guess you know there's a lot of things uranium's used for also a lot of people feel the Grand Canyon should be used for that because those contaminants are, of course, in the river
1: mm-hmm. that's true it's like you know, it can't be like fracking
3: oh yeah there's a there's an open pit of mining tailings just over in Utah, and the pit is literally right next to the river they it It takes thousands of tons of rock to get to. Uh, just a pound of uranium, you know, so there's a lot of processing, but there's still uh, a lot of contamination and it blew my mind the more I uh, Of all the mysteries I ran into there's actually many really crazy things about the canyon besides people get accidentally or fallen into it, which I believe the grand total currently is 19 have fallen off while taking photos or being goofy or standing on the edge. So, uh-huh. you know, or like 50, wait, no, it's 53. And then it was 19. I was going through, it. I had to stop reading because it was like, I can't believe you people are doing this, it's just horrible. Like, there's no reason for you to fall off and you just did it. Um, but the the uranium mining permits, uh, they, t- they really got into it uh, in the 50s and 60s and created quite a bit of a mess to the point that on the far side of the canyon, on the and everyone goes north-south, the reality is that the canyon goes more east-west. And so on the east in Arizona, in Page, where Antelope Canyon is, where that famous Peter Lick photo was taken, where a lot of people like to stop at Lake Powell, it's on the side of the canyon where the Navajo Bridge is, and the big famous Horseshoe Bend. Everyone likes to take photos at Horseshoe Bend. It's 10 bucks for parking. It's public access. You just roll up. You walk. You walk down and take a picture of Horseshoe Bend. And, well, the Lake Powell, the reason they dammed it up and even made the lake, the first thought everyone has is, oh, it's for water and for the area. What you don't know, Mark, is, or maybe you do, but there is 39,000. Now, this is what's officially quoted. There are 39,000 tons of uranium mining tailings which are the remnants of what they couldn't use from mining uranium in the bottom of Lake Powell, the drinking water and the recreational water for that whole area is a containment pond for 39,000 tons of uranium tailings.
1: I did not know that. Uh, That uh, Uh, just sounds very unhealthy.
3: Right? (laughs) Doesn't it? It's just horrible. It's the drinking yeah. water, it's the
1: recreation so, water, so 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 once you take a slurp out of like uh Fukushima? Uh,
3: yeah, it's about now the, they say it's about that the same the, thing well, they say that, and follow this logic, they say that the water acts as a barrier to the uranium tailings being active or getting further up or floating or moving outside of stain within their containment area at the bottom. And I just, and again, I don't one personally, I, I can only go with what they say. And, and currently what they say is that there's 39,000 tons of tailings. Okay. But does that mean that there's not more, or does that mean that they're intact and they're in quote safe position? That's, frustrating because there have been mm-hmm. indigenous tribes in the area that have won uh, lawsuits. Well, right now, the number I've heard, uh, well, what I read that $500 million has been set aside to clean up not only the, ta- not the tailings in Lake Powell, but other tailings that have led to dust in the air that have been uh, people have been breathing in Arizona and particularly uh, in indigenous in, native nation lands and the money never materialized. And I know that's not where we're going with all this, but the reality is that it's interesting because there are mining pads, concrete poured pads that people think are the pads that are used for maybe getting the Kincaid treasure out that in order to lift out 80 mummies and gold and treasures and high technology that the government created, like, so I've been being sent. I met some great local Navajo Nation guides uh, in Tuba City, which is where we stayed for a few days, which is dead center Navajo Nation. And while we were there, um, now I'm working with them. We were working with the Navajo when we went. Uh, Now we have uh, new contacts that have been getting us some preliminary photography and we've been lining that up with different things that you know we want we want to find the truth so it doesn't matter it's definitely not an issue of its aliens or if it's not Egyptian or or oriental uh, in origins what the issue is is let's just unpack this and try to get all the information kind of like the pyramid conference can we start trying to get this information at one Mm -hmm. point of access for people to just find it
1: I agree Yeah, it's yeah. We just want to know the truth.
3: Yeah, and you know, we found the the preliminary investigations for some of the pads are showing that okay, well, this appears to be a pad for uh, maybe something to do with mining. And then recently, I had a great fan send me some info about. You won't believe it. The creation of the FAA, did you know that it has to do directly with the Grand Canyon? I did not know that. I did not either. And so these pads, again, it all goes back to we're trying to find the source of the Kincaid. And this, I want everyone listening, this is exactly what happens when you go out and say, well, I'm going to go find something. And the amount of things that you find that should be exciting on in themselves or interesting or something to strike a passion up for. You should just stop at each one of those, and here's another great example. We um, come to find out that two flights, a TWA and a United flight, in 1956, Eisenhower's president, well, 1955, so Eisenhower's president, and we do not, believe it or not, when you got in an airplane, you know, think about it, World War II's over, we're 10 years out. There is... Uh there's no air traffic control there's no like yeah we got radar but we were using it in world war 2 nobody everybody was so naive about how big the sky was that the thousands and thousands of flights that were flying by 1956 nobody thought that two planes could run into each other and tragically two flights was 77 on one fl- on one flight and on the other well, it totals up to over 128 people dead. The two planes collide midair towards the east side of the canyon, and the wreckage lands on some very precarious slopage above the rim on multiple sides. And, the, uh, of course, the tragedy of it was that first they, there are still ropes, which I can get you photos of this, there are ropes still hung from 1956 from the cruise that risked their – because mountain – look, climbing is inherently dangerous, and you can mitigate most of the risks. So for us to go climb in the canyon of the expedition that I just went on was also a preliminary trip for planning that. We had We had lots of uh, uh, digital equipment for photography and P1000 Nikon telephoto zoom lenses that could photograph a three inch rock from three miles away. I mean, it was crazy. The equipment we had and you don't just show up with some ropes and say, I'm going to, I'm going to repel or climb up like GE G. Kincaid said, he saw an opening that was 2000 feet above the Canyon floor. And somehow he managed that on his own solo. Mm-hmm. And that that's quite, that's quite a feat. And we can unpack that after the fact that Eisenhower signs the documentation. And in 1956, the FAA is created because of this crash on the east side of the canyon. And fast forward in 1976, they had recovered the bodies or what they could of everything in 56. But 20 years later, they mounted another expedition and created pads. And we think... Uh, This is another possibility for some of the pads that we found that it had nothing to do with the Smithsonian taking anything out of the canyon, but it actually may have to do with the fact that they were trying to remove heavy engine parts and fuselages and other things that hit a section of the canyon that slid into a crevasse that is hundreds of feet off the ground and quite, quite impossible to just Get to easily, you know. You you would have to make a really great effort to get to it. So they, of course, did what they could to secure the equipment and get a lot of the plane parts. And and what's interesting is to this day, you can hike into the canyon. They have a wreckage. You can actually still see wreckage in situ. It's still laying, uh in some of its original locations. it, it they just didn't take everything out, but. The FAA literally is birthed and tracking aircraft happened because of this crash, not out of possible area range to explain some of these concrete pads that we are attributing to Kincaid in order to get the mummies out. When in reality, it could be this or it could be the remnants of old uranium mines there. uh, There's a number of other minerals in Arizona all around. I mean, there's not just Uranium, but it's a very valuable commodity to our government, to you know our medical fields, and so many applications for it. It's a valuable substance, but then there are people who don't want the Grand Canyon to go under any uh, kind of excavations. But we have anthropologists and paleoanthropologists doing work. Of the two hundred and seventy miles of potential caves, This is something exciting for everyone, Mark. I haven't brought it up yet, but there is a paleoanthropologist. Oh, go ahead. Exclusive. Yeah, well, uh, there's a gentleman in charge uh, of Carlsbad who said that there has to be more caves in the Grand Canyon than in Carlsbad. And that's saying something. And he was part of the team that since 1969 has done a lot of the exploration of about 150 miles of the Grand Canyon. So what's exciting about this is that in modern times, they've also academically, which is fair or unfair, they've kept a lot of the cave systems they've explored under wraps. And the reason is is because in the 70s, one time on a location that had been explored was exposed, uh, local uh, or people came who were climbing and adventuring and they started a fire and most of the caves are filled with all sorts of things that are tens of thousands of years old. Like there's a an extinct sloth that was found in one of the caves that he found that
0: mm-hmm. died Probably.
3: between 10 and 50,000 years ago. But there's mummified, very well preserved, because caves just have that right moisture and preservation. Uh, the temperature is just perfect to not only mummify, but also preserve organic tissues. uh all sorts of, I mean, horses, every kind of animal and creature. And uh, there's a mystery, ancient people I can tell you about in a second. But what I wanted to just uh, throw out to all you adventurers out there is there's at least 120 miles that they have no eyes to to publicly and even academically in private circles. There's a minimum of 120 miles of caving, uh, potential caves, that no one's ever found and no one's ever looked in in modern times. And of the ones that they've looked in of the 150 miles that uh, Professor Mead has looked at, well, not just like he's looked at them alone or that there's not researchers, but to give you an idea, one of the caves that they talk about that they found has 40 miles of tunnels.
1: okay so um 49. Uh, that's some pretty uh pretty staggering uh numbers uh and it does not seem to make kincaid's um statements about you know, like seven hundred uh foot long um- rooms like you know it's like a bunch of hyperbole it uh yeah. seems, it, it, You're be, right. it, it seems like you know your information seems ac- uh accurate w- with what uh uh ge uh, kincaid said
3: yeah and we and and for those listening i guess i ha <laughs> That, that There is a lot of interesting, mysterious things. Uh, there's even a people we can talk about in a minute called the Stick People. That's the name they were coined. But to answer the question on the G.E. Kincaid Cave, we did very extensive filming and photography and the explorations, conclusions of our initial expedition, which was to, one, at least locate the opening that G.E. Kincaid describes, which is approximately 1,400 feet from the rim of where we were and 2000 feet from the canyon floor we were on the exact location that the Kincaid cave is supposed to be in the canyon below there are these rapids and right near the rapids there is a campsite so to give everyone an idea if you and i were with GE Kincaid to get to that point on the river where he describes he saw the cave uh the people we were looking down at that had been that were on their adventure they we're not on one of the kayak tours that is five hours. You know, you and I can show up to the canyon tomorrow and spend $130 and, or give or take and get in an outfitter's kayak and we can float around Horseshoe Bend and be in the canyon, which is quite an experience for five hours. And I'm saying this, by the way, because I cannot tell you how often I wanted to bang my head on the wall. When you go looking, except for maybe like people who are professional hikers who must be used, whatever web designer, the three that they use to make all hiking information to be the most complex, convoluted, unmanageably complex. It is so frustrating. If you want to go from zero to, I would like to get a permit to go for a day hike into the Canyon. I would like to uh, take one of these river trips. It took forever for me to find out that if you're on a camping trip in the Canyon and you're traversing some fairly decent intermediate to advanced rapids. And you're in this group and you're camping where we were looking down and we could see their campsite. You've been on the river for seven to 11 days, depending on what you're doing. You're, you're at a campsite at rapids where Kincaid said, I was floating down the river, looking for adventurous stuff to do. He saw a discoloration, uh, which by the way, everything is bleeding and oxidizing uh, reds, oranges, blacks. I mean, like, and I became the expert from the rim without using the telephoto lens and finding bushes that look like cave openings. I am an expert at finding foliage mid-canyon wall. And so as you traverse all these things and you understand that the scope that Kincaid would have had to enter the river uh, anywhere from like if he was really booking it, five to seven days to get to where he was, but somewhere between five and 11 days or seven and nine, he has been on the river uh, in what a canoe uh, with a crap load of supplies. Cause I'm telling you, you're not crawling out of the Canyon to get your water real fast. If you're that committed and you're that far in, you know, it's, it's a significant point. We, we drove across very rough terrain in a very well outfitted four by four vehicle with, you know, the three of us. And we were an hour and a half from, a gas station we were an hour from what you could call a road and we get out there with all of our equipment and we're out there for three days at this particular location and I can tell you Mark we did not see any cave opening in the required footage or along the area that the cave is supposed to exist we did not see any cave opening and now we don't we did not have any thermal imaging abilities so We would also have to plan to stay there at night, excuse me, and I have no problem staying there at night, but the deal is we didn't have any thermal imaging uh, because we really expected, because of all the talk and all the podcasts and all the radio shows and TV shows, all the chat, uh, these are things that we need to go back out and prove because we can and this is one of those caves where if the opening has been collapsed intentionally, if that's the case, thermal imaging at night would show us a temperature differential and would let us know that we are actually looking at a cave opening where we maybe are actually mm-hmm. looking at a bush. But we, we didn't have that ability. So we're planning to go back out again and exhaust those methods, exhaust. That wasn't the only place we were in the canyon. So I could I could go on about it. But the the head headline here is we went to multiple locations to look for potential targets of interest that included for everyone listening, we weren't just screamingly focused on the GE Kincaid cave. I was very much focused on our mystery of a global pyramid building, polygonal constructing, ancient engineered soil, size you know, seismic metamaterial uh you know, controlling, you know, advanced human race, if they were using the canyon or doing anything in it, uh, 20, 30, 50, you know, pre-Younger Dryas or or pre-Mount Toba, there would be rock cut ruins or there would be, you know, even if it was great antiquity and had been mostly maybe weathered away, I was still hoping to find rock cut openings. That's one of the things that I'm getting great help with from, some Navajo guides from tuba is looking for rock cut openings that appear to be advanced They're not. And, and the Anasazi, of course, this is, this is like, this is well within Anasazi land and there's so many mysteries around their relationship. What's been implied with ends are extraterrestrial or, and, and I don't go that route, but I would say advanced ancient humans and the Anasazi definitely overlap in their relationship to just being in this area. And so, the the possibility that we could find an ancient advanced rock cut ruin, even if it's just a doorway, a mantle, uh, just a couple, you know, megalithic looking uh, lentils that show that there was once an entrance into something. It doesn't have to have hieroglyphs or, I mean, that would be amazing if, or even petroglyphs. I mean, it's not that I was opposed. Ironically, my big disappointment would and we did find a pictograph. I did find, I, I did find a pictograph. Uh, we were having this cool. exact, yeah, this exact moment. I said basically what I just said to you to Rex. And Rex was standing on a rock and he turned around and I looked down and I went, well, exactly like this. And there was a big sunburst pecked into the top of this rock. And there was a compass guy next to it, a line across. And it exactly lined up with stuff some stuff in the canyon. And so we did find uh, things that were more contemporary and it, and it had some great antiquity to the aging, to the pecking uh, that formed this giant sun with bursting sun rays out of it. I did find that. Um, we were, we did see Apache helicopters. We did see three very mysterious guys kind of following us at one point uh, when we were on the, on, on another area that, you know, closer to page, I guess. Uh, that yeah, uh, that sounds really. Bridges. Yeah, uh, that
1: sounds suspicious. You, know, you were talking about uh, you're an hour from the nearest you know real road and ninety minute mm-hmm. drive to the nearest gas station, and yeah, you're about one of the most remote places in America, and all of a sudden people people show up uh, walking side by side with you. Uh, 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 that, does, that doesn't sound normal.
3: Uh, no, because where we were, there was no reason for them to be like, there was just no, there was just no reason for it. There was no reason they should have been, they were, it was very interesting. We had gotten back from another day of exploration. Uh, we were at the Navajo bridge and it was three dudes, uh, all of them out of their car, all of them on their phone, none of them talking to each other, but they were all leaning on the hood of the car. The problem with the giveaway for these guys was that they were all staring at us and it wasn't like they were looking quick and still chatting or figuring out where they were going or what they were doing. They specifically were watching us move around equipment. They were specifically, and I'm not, I am not looking for drama or big conspiracy thing, but uh, you know, for irrelevant, I I don't want to, burst anyone's imagination bubble. But the truth is, it's like, oh, you people work for someone. I don't know who, and you're definitely not on your phones because you're on your phones. You are all simultaneously staring at us. None of you are talking. Guys in their late 20s to 30s don't do that. They don't just lean on the hood of their car, all facing each other and not talking, but all staring at us. And the minute we load everything and we decide we're going to leave, they all get in their car like they're gonna follow us. And we're like, huh, so Rex pulled over, I pulled over, and we made them leave the lot without us. And then uh we kind of followed each other into page. But it was very interesting. So that, that was a little bit of a side note. But staying staying on topic of the Kincaid cave, I do I do want to explain for anyone that's super interested that I'm not gonna say no, that it's not there, but it's it's it was very specifically supposed to be by these rapids. And yes, in 112 years, or 120 years, the rapids could maybe shift a little, depending on the size of the rocks. But uh, so that's that's, we were there. We were there where it's supposed to be, and there was just not a cave opening.
1: Okay supposedly uh Kincaid noted a flight of steps.
3: Yeah. Uh,
1: that, that, no. I, I yeah, I don't know. Uh, she <laughs> saw that. I yeah, that was in some of the information I was uh reading.
3: I um it, I have extensive was, 6K photos if you want I'll I'll have to get you some of there behind you know I'm going to be posting them on Not Aliens in my member area I'll have a few free ones and I'll be doing a documentary on it but to your point I feel like you particularly should get a chance to look at the high def and you know Gary you know this whole genesis was me and Gary from everything imaginable uh we co-host mm-hmm. together and we were uh he actually Gary's called a good me guy. this morning he is an awesome guy, and he actually called me this morning and said, uh, have you looked at your footage? And I'm like, well, there's 55 gigs of 6K footage, and there's 3,000 photos. So I took a lot of it, but looking at it has been a challenge as I put out this other documentary that I'm working on that I'm hoping to have up by, by next weekend. Uh, not this coming Friday, but the following. I've, I thought it was going to be released two weekends ago. And sorry, everyone, it's taking me a little, it's just a full length doc. It's taking me, it's like 55 minutes, it's 45 somewhere in there. It's taking me a long time to finish. But I'm like, well, the next thing is to put out this footage of the Kincaid trip for every, for anyone to look at it and go, Oh, uh, I saw something. I see something. And I definitely want to get that up on not and uh, the member area its super cheap. It really helps support expeditions like this. But, yeah, you, you're going to have to look at the footage because Gary saw something. And, you know, what's even worse is that I said, I, I we had our show tonight. And I'm like, I'm talking to Mark, and I got no time. And Gary's like, I'll call you later. I got to talk to you about the footage. And I don't even know what he's excited about. Yeah, okay. so.
1: Oh, gee. and, uh, and okay. Yeah, go ahead. We'll have to bring we we'll have to bring uh Gary on for an ex another night like oh, be exclusive. Fun. Yeah, you, that would be fun. Yeah. we can do that. Um but it, it you know, and you were talking about Antelope, you know, get getting to Antelope Canyon and um Yeah. To, to some some of these like specific locations, yeah. You, uh, you, know, you said uh, Solaris uh, set you uh, up with uh, some people sh- uh, guides that she knew in the area.
3: Uh, those are the ones that Rex knew, oh, and okay, right, she okay. knew. No, they both okay. did, and I was going to contact that couple. And then Rex was like, well, I've already met them out there and I've already, you know, like I've already done some preliminary and I'm like, well, I'm not going to double up our work. If you're, if you've already done that, I said, let's just meet and I won't talk. You know, basically we pooled our resources and with everything overlapping, yeah, I, I went straight out and Uh, worked on some other uh, areas and things like that. There are dinosaur tracks and not, not like 20 or a hundred. There is a literally a field that was a swamp that is now desert. Uh, It was boggy and it has tracks of T-Rexes, velociraptors, uh, giant herbivores that allegedly shook the earth when they walked. They were so big and even really cool double tracks of where, pteranodons or pterodactyls landed and would hop and you can see their footprints. There's oh, lots of, di- wow. there's a word for it. Di- there's a lot of dinosaur dew. like a lot of, it's now rock, but there's all this dinosaur, uh, uh, doo that has turned into rock of course. And it's just amazing Pop-a-lice. field. Oh my gosh. It's so cool. Yes. That, uh, I can't believe I blanked on it. Uh, that is exactly what it is. And these Navajo guides you can uh you can just go and they show you around they they work strictly on tips and they take turns and they of course also sell the local navajo art and and they make they make stuff and it's and the jewelry is just stunning and the the knowledge um, the knowledge base of, of these local people are just it's just crazy when it comes down to. If you want to really go off of the standard in quotes tour thing, go to Tuba. You need to go to the Navajo Nation. Uh, Locally, by the way, they have a really cool espresso shop. I'm a big coffee guy. And they even have a Starbucks, too, for those who want corporate. But they also have an independent pizza place that's pretty good. And Tuba is like a six-block by six-block town, just so you know. Despite that, they have two really nice hotels or three. They have a bunch of restaurants, but they have – some corporate stuff, it's, it's just bizarre. Cause you're, it's six by six. You're in the middle of the Navajo nation. You're still like, we were still like an hour plus from where we were exploring at the Canyon. And what's even more interesting is uh, just like within Tuba city limits, which is kind of silly because you can look across uh, desert into mountains for miles, but you, you drive about a mile out of town. And on your right, there's just a, practically a wooden cardboard sign that says dinosaur tracks (laughs) and you You pull in and there's about 10 artists and guides that each take turns when you pull in for free and Who the hell cares about? Here's the thing. This is what's so exciting for me The first thing I ever wanted to do when I was a kid was be an archaeologist in reference to dinosaurs I wanted to find dinosaurs and just do that stuff so For me, this is a little bit of the kid talking, but I will tell you that getting out there, you don't, they're not roped off. You are walking, heck, you park basically on dinosaur tracks. You walk like you're, you know, try not to ruin them, but you are walking in them, on them, you're touching them. There is petrified bones still in place. There is... it is so exciting and fun. Uh, it's hot, so definitely don't go. I had amazing Arizona desert weather, just so you guys know. For the most part, it was this beautiful, breezy, mid to lower 80s for most of our trip. I only got the horrible Arizona heat day one. And, of course, I'm at the dinosaur tracks when the heat decided to come back. So it must have been 100 and change. But you know it was it was not what it had been for 4 days or 5 days and here we were i couldn't stop shooting photographs i'll have those on my channel too because the 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 detail you get when you walk around i mean it's you could honestly spend an unlimited amount of time and and just walk around this field it, it there that's how many dinosaur tracks there are it, it it's incredible and it's free. Well, uh, it was used for it was used for Jurassic Park. I forgot about that.
1: Okay, did did you uh, stay at the hotel where the Griswolds uh, stayed when they visited the uh, Grand Canyon?
0: Mm,
3: there's uh, two hotels that are really kind of the their their Navajo hotels are both very nice, so. I'm sure they stayed at one of them or I stayed at maybe, maybe stayed at the one that they were at. I don't know.
1: Okay. Oh, I just, I just wonder if that was a, 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 uh, um, has now become a tourist attraction in the wake of the, uh, um, popularity of the movie vacation.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to, to, I didn't see anything posted or plaqued or anything said about it. Um, it is, uh, like I said, the the stuff that you can get to, it's not like, you know, Tuba is a, they have, of course, the Windtalker Museum there, and I was bummed that it was closed. Ooh, that sounds fascinating. The Navajo fascinating. Windtalker. Yeah, I my grandfather was a tank commander he landed in a tank at d-day and was actually in a tank through belgium and holland and france for battle of the bulge and made it to berlin in a tank my my i've been fascinated with world war ii uh my great uncles i had seven great uncles that served in the south pacific and i was super fascinated with world war ii and the wind talker thing was, for those that don't know, it's the only unbroken code ever because no, the Japanese didn't speak Navajo, go figure. And they could never break the Navajo language. And so there's for all of those who haven't heard of it, but the Navajo, uh, I mean, really did, uh, I mean, the feet of their language carrying us and saving American lives and being a part of World War II and our victory in the Pacific and in, 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 the war is just incredible. And the, the museum is right there in tube and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I want to go. And it was, it's like right across the parking lot from this really, really, really cute uh, local espresso shop. It's the only one in town. So it's uh unless you're going to go to the, you know, go to the supermarket and get Starbucks, but the, uh, the wind talker museum is right there on one of those cross streets. And it's, ah, uh, I just wish they had been open, but they weren't. And uh, other things about the area, about the Anasazi, there are caves, there are graves or foundations to homes. There are stories of Bigfoot. Uh, for those interested, Sasquatch, there are stories of aliens as in cigar-shaped. One of the guides was very clear. We're going to do a show on it. I'm not usually the alien guy, but Elvin... Uh, the guide, just brilliant, man. And he's a 17 generations Navajo, has lived across the dinosaur track field for his entire life. And he's seen some really strange things through winter and summer. And in the 70s, he saw a cigar-shaped UFO land, four little guys get out of it. I thought that was interesting. But his his knowledge of the Anasazi, and their grave locations, and the mystery behind other indigenous people. And and just, again, even to fast forward, he and uh, his friend are helping me with the locations of these platforms, these uh, crane platforms, and these objects that are, are they from the plane crash? Are they from the Smithsonian? Uh, is it from a mining company? There's just no way to do this with not only locals, but uh, doing it – being able to do it with with some of the local Navajo is just super exciting, really fun. It's super interesting, which I never even – I'm so sorry, Mark. I never got back and told you about the uh, stick people that are found in the
1: cave. Yes, I I was just going to ask you about that when you were uh, done with uh, this section. Take your time. We'll get to it.
3: Well, yeah, so they – there's just a lot of reasons, I think, for people to plan a stop in Tuba. And I know on a map, they might think, oh, well, why don't we just go to Page, which is another hour and a half north. I I think Tuba is worth a two-day stop. And the reason is, is yeah, you could go look at, for those of you not that interested in dinosaur tracks, I think you could go out and still be pretty darn fascinated for at least an, uh, I would hope you would have at least an hour or two tensions Um uh, But if you're really into dinosaur tracks, you're going to spend the whole day there. And if you like really, really beautiful and cool and interesting and intricate and and just incredible jewelry, uh, the stands of the artists that are there with the guides, 100% worth just looking at that. So you could definitely spend a, about a half a day at the dinosaur tracks. and. If not, there's that whole unfortunate, not able personally to see the Windtalker Museum. And then from Tuba, you can get to some of the other, there are some other more touristy, hikey things you could do. But I I think it's a worthy stop for a day or two to get into it. And then the Anasazi, that's where I was going really, is that off the schedule, like kind of the standard Montezuma's Castle I, I did. Uh-huh. I did stop because I do think it's relevant. Uh, Montezuma was not. They thought it was Montezuma, that's why they named it Montezuma's Castle, but it had really nothing to do with the Montezuma. But Montezuma Castle, really interesting. But there, but the, but the guides locally in Tuba, when you get up to the dinosaur tracks, I think it's worth the stop because if you are willing to hire one of those guides to take you to some places in that area that no one is going to look at. Other than some hardcore paleoanthropologists, archaeologists that are even interested in the area, there is literally no one looking at some really cool stuff that those local guides in Tuba. And that's really where I was going for this little to wrap this one up, is to go to Tuba, go to the dinosaur track area, talk to the locals that are there, and just uh, we're we're going to do an interview with Elvin on uh, Dark Hour. Paranormal and on Not Aliens on my channel. I think there's lots of great people, uh, but I would suggest that you go and plan at that extra day to head into the hills, literally the hills, whether you're tracking Sasquatch, interested in aliens, but if you're even more importantly interested in indigenous history and especially the, all the legit crazy mysteries behind the Anasazi their their foundational homes and caves, and there are things that only a local Navajo guide could take you to. Oh my gosh, stop mm-hmm. and spend the two days to do it. And I got nothing out of that other than I'm I'm super excited about it. So I'm not trying to sell it, to everyone. I will stop being excited and calm down here.
1: No, but, you know, you're getting. Uh, access to all these places by the locals who know the land and you're not going to find this stuff in uh, tour books. It sounds like they gave you um, you a a once-in-a-lifetime education and intimate knowledge of uh you know the area land culture
3: yes and i i think that's what i'm most excited about is i like to bring things to people that i think they will enjoy thoroughly and this is one of those things where you can't internet search it you have to know someone who's done it and then you'd have to even uh, want to hear about it or hear their opinion or whatever, uh, as far as, you know, if you're interested in dinosaurs, if you're interested in Anasazi or all these other subjects, the reality is, is that there's not a direct brochure. I stumbled on it because when you do field research like this and you, it's part of the investigative journalism portion of it where, well, if you want to call it that, or just the experimental mind, uh, I just ask the questions. It's a combo of luck that I was, even able to locate uh, the information I did that ended up creating this opportunity where I think anyone would really enjoy uh, the adventure of creating their own tour. And this was not a hard one to do. Just go to the tuba dinosaur tracks and ask to see some more stuff and hire a guide. And Alvin, like I said, and there's a couple more, there's some other guides we're going to, we're definitely going to, uh, you know, have that information on not aliens and definitely people should, you know, make Tuva stop for sure. But that that is not, um, uh, you know, we're not at the end of the mysteries besides uranium, planes crashing, creating the FAA, creating... radar system, all that came from 1956, the cleanups in 76, the GE Kincaid cave potentially still being there, but maybe not, and 120 miles of caves that have never been looked in, no one's ever gone to, which means that if you get a hiking permit and want to start platting out and looking in the canyon, you're going to be doing something that is literally uh, it's just laying in wait. It's there for you to go do it. So there's a call to legit adventure. You know, there have been people who made it to the North and South Pole. But the reality is, uh, even in what they've explored, there's no way they know all the details in a 40-mile-long cave. And that's just one cave of 150 miles of things they've found. And on top of it, uh, in those caves, at the entrances, they have been finding something that they have coined to a group of people that they know lived at least 3,000 years ago called, because that's all they find, the stick people. They're not Anasazi. They're not local indigenous tribes. There is a group of people that were making figurines, uh, stick people, out of sticks. They were binding them together and they were leaving them in the caves for people to find. And the interesting thing about it is there are some theories of what they have found. They think that maybe they were directional, like, Hey, we're in the next cave or we went left or we went right. Or the last person here, like, you know, that the sticks people aren't just left there to say we were here. They were left there as a way to communicate between groups as they traveled cave to cave is one of the theories so that's huh. just a, that's a thing, but the reality is they don't know who the cave people they don't know who the stick people are at all.
1: I, could could the, the these um, while you were talking about it, you know, I was wondering if the, like these stick figures could have been left in the cave you know like uh, I know the some of the archaic people left um, shoes in caves um, because there's kind of like a like a, a shrine in the cave and they they left the uh, shoes there as like some kind of offering because the shoes were walking the earth. And it was like a symbolic gesture. I you know could could they be like you know, dolls or something? Or early form of a kachina? Yeah.
3: yeah, like mom and dad are doing busy like cave work and they're like go sit over there and make another stick person. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's always you know because there's always this thing, well, it's it's something it's something sacred it's something uh uh well what if it's not what if it's just literally they that's it it's just a just a kid's toy nothing special yeah exactly that
1: i don't so no one has any idea about these people they just no
3: they've got they've gotten as far as calling them the stick people. and then you have caves filled with bones, bats, every kind of dead vulture, bird, animal, there's there's horses, there's sloths, there's a zillion other things. and some of it all they have is uh, uh, you know, some of all they have is just the DNA remnant. I mean, you know, we talked before or a little bit. I've been talking about sedimentary DNA, you know, nuclear DNA testing. That's a new thing where they're actually able to, just from atoms, they're starting to be able to really do a lot of amazing research off of just, you know, particles. And and that's pretty dang crazy, given where we are, where we used to have a whole tooth, which is still kind of a, a modern standard yet the nuclear DNA testing has been going on now for almost a decade, but it's it's really gotten some uh, momentum and traction in the news, and it's on the radar now. And the it's starting to, co- it, you know, it's starting to come up more. Uh, but yeah, I I do think that it's 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 just very 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 interesting to know that any one of these caves contains enough natural history information that any individual institution that really wanted to, I guess you got to be selective with how you want to spend your money and what information you want to collect. But the amount of bio, you know, waste that represents tens of thousands of years of either animal or possibly human history, it's there and somebody's got to do it. And every time True. Every time you enter, you may damage some of it. But gosh, I I think that I think one of the greatest hindrances I think you said it earlier: the changing of the guard. It needs to happen. Just saying, it's it's got to yeah. change. It's got to get. Um, I mean, it just has to.
1: It's slowly happening.
3: Oh, I know. It's it's so slow but it it needs to happen in order for us to get to the bottom of this stuff you know we we're just never going to have the perfect technology we we need to just get into these things and do the best we can i mean that's what's been going on uh, year after year and i can understand that you know of everything you find if it's similar then okay well don't don't do anything to you know, maybe one of two situations or something, you know, just leave one of them alone for a future technology. But right now it's just not, I, I just don't think it's worth it. I I think we have too much of a search and rescue on our history to wait for us to have the perfect technology to not lose any data sets because we, we don't know how to recover them. I'm not saying destroy it or burn it if we can't sort it out, but I think there's something about the storage side of it. I think there's a way for us to, you know, hold on to it, but keep it um, uh, safe until you can, uh, but not going to explore something. I just think needs to start being the wrong or the, the last solution, not the first. It's the wrong way to go. I think.
1: Okay. So, so speaking of the, uh, uh, changing of the guard, um, you know, with all the uh, sedimentary layers that you can see on the canyon walls. Did you see any of the black earth? But oh yeah, yeah that that's, yeah, that's not really a. N- where you cover that in your book, it's not aliens. I, you're picking up where Colonel Fawcett uh, started to formulate some kind of theory about it. Uh, you know what? What about a hundred years ago? So you know.
3: Yeah, I think that the, we were actually standing on the rim of the canyon, and I think that conversation actually came up with Rex and I and Shandell. We were with a Navajo guide, uh, and it did occur to me, I I was looking at some of these canyon mesa tops, that who's been on top of those ever in modern or ancient, even ancient times? They're so, so inaccessible that Mm -hmm. most of those tops, other than natural weathering, rain, cold, you know, collective drifting of sediments from other areas in the, uh, you know, the desert areas or the, there's just no, no way that anyone's disturbed the soil on the tops of some of these Canyon bluffs. So it, it was absolutely my conjecture that, hey, uh, if we're going to look for terra preta or any ancient engineered soil or seismic metamaterial, uh, I'm thinking uh, most of these these plateau tops throughout the Grand Canyon have not been touched except for absolutely super, super, super great distantly ancient uh, societies and, and antiquities, time. You know, there's no way anyone's ever uh Uh, There's no way. It's just not possible. No one's been up there.
1: So it'd be be unspoiled testing.
3: I would think so, you know, except for whatever water runoff or I, I I just can't imagine it blowing off. Like down to the, down to the rock. And then it, I, I just don't see that there was a period where, or glacially I don't, I don't see a point where the tops of the Canyon were covered in glacial material. I, I just don't think that that's, I'm not saying it's impossible. I just, in a billion years of history, I I'm, I'm talking about like of the potential of an ancient advanced society, having been in the grand Canyon area for uh, the last, you know, sometime in the last even a hundred thousand years, I do not think for a second that they, uh, you know, it 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 was ever removed by some glacial activity or some major, uh, I don't know, some. I, I can't think of any nuclear or wind blowing that would have uh, removed the lowest layers of soil sampling. I just I don't think that it could have happened. So. Yeah, it is a possibility that when we start thinking about finding things, you know, people want to go find the G.E. Kincaid cave. I do, too. It's interesting. But it's not as exciting to go, well, this whole time I've had three ounces of dirt I could have turned in in my backyard. I've been making tomato plants and apparently I have like, you know, seven seven mummies in my own backyard that are I have all the parts of an ancient lost technology or a, a genetic code that you know, connects Denisovan with uh, an unknown species of Neanderthal. I mean, literally, it's going to come down to uh, machining and quantum computing. I mean, the we're on the edge of a renaissance where, although we have very fast computers, we have great computers, quantum mm-hmm. computing is going to make calculations soon for some of this. I mean, you and I can go buy a gene CRISPR and experiment uh, quite Insanely like Frankenstein. I mean, we could experiment with gene technology, which is crazy, but we could do that at home right now And there's a possibility uh, It means uh, You know what what we would be able to do with a quantum supercomputer and sifting You know the, the idea of how long a current computer would take to sift a ton of dirt literally one ton of dirt I, I can't even fathom the computing power to have to, to deal with each grain and how many years it would take. And with quantum computing, I I bet some of this stuff with that and other nano combined with other nanotechnologies, I I see us being able to, you and I have a talk like this over some coffee or drinks while we have nanobots do three-quarters of the work and get answers in hours or a couple days. And, uh, yeah
1: anyway well, it's you know, well I, I i was just wondering about if, you if know, if there was this pos- the the, the uh terra Prada was in central and south america um yeah, we know there there are the uh Peruvian mummies, you know, I just wondered if you know maybe some of the mummies that kincaid r- reported could be peruvian mummies you know, That they, they came up here uh you know to Arizona you know, if they uh, any of the Central American people who you know, could have migrated. To Arizona, if they could have engineered any of the Terra Prada, uh, I, I don't know. Just uh, kind of throwing out a, a connection, you know, a possible explanation for what Kincaid saw. Work work in some of your your book. Uh, you know, they uh, the mummies and everything disappeared what by nineteen oh nine, nineteen ten? 1910 so that was still what 40 years before the invention of uh, uh carbon 14 dating so uh the, the the mummies uh cannot be tested
3: yeah there's i mean it, it all comes back to standard academia uh it's it's ridiculous there's a point where it's just I mean, you're just not going to you're just going to say it's it's not me. It's not. uh, No, it isn't. It's like a scene out of the Holy Grail where it's like, you know, I chopped your arm off. No, you didn't. It's a scratch. And we're just going to ignore all these all the scientific evidence in the room. And and the terra preta, there is no way that there wasn't more continental uh, currency in in, in goods and exchanging going on. We have the Bay uh-huh. of Amphora jars, you know, the Am- Amphora Bay in Brazil. There's no way it wasn't, it was just one uh, Hellenistic or uh, whatever. So one Roman vessel that got, you know, kind of just went off. Shipwrecked. And, yeah, no way. There's There's too many linguistics in South America, Central America include Chinese linguistics we have accounts from those uh that a couple admirals from china we have indications Mm -hmm. they landed as you know at least to california and you know there's just too much evidence scott walter's work with the templars and the 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 vikings you know i in minnesota itself you know the is very clear that the vikings made it into minnesota and then adventured out from there and it's not just the only thing there's too many crossovers of all the different um the moon eyed people the little people the Cherokee little people the moon eyed people the the ant people there there's so many uh what was considered just oh we'll shrug it off it's a mystery it's folklore and then Maya Blue you know the idea that Georgia is likely the place where the Mayans were coming up with their their blue pigment And as far Uh north, you know, in Wisconsin, you know, 9,000 year old grains, uh, strains of corn that have been maintained for 9,000 years and pyramids and, you know, there's a number of indications that we don't have a complete history. We don't have it correct. The narrative is way off, but how far off to your point, way far off and trying to get back to the start is you have these elongated skulled humans that are being born with these elongated skulls. They're not being... It's not cranial def- deformation. You have this engineered soil showing up in South, uh, North, South, Central, and in the Americas, and we're 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 thinking growing, but it's also these stone spheres that are found all over. They're found all over Central and South, and all over the world, and they also appear to do with you know seismic metamaterial. We've covered all this, but. Y- Specifically to the Grand Canyon and specifically to engineered soils, whether it's for growing food or piezoelectric properties, filtering heavy metals and carbon dioxide, or if it's, uh, you know, the buildings that were near the Grand Canyon were obliterated and the remnants, the sedimentary remnant of those structures and creatures and flora and fauna, they're all still atomized still it's mind-blowing but a crystal a you know a cell-sized chunk on one of those plateaus that is maybe buried due to wind due to weather in that area maybe it's only 18 inches deep maybe it's 30 inches deep but maybe it's laid there undisturbed for five thousand ten thousand a hundred thousand years and it's just waiting for us to do the testing and that, that's something I'm optimistic about changing. I don't think we have to wait for quantum computing, but I definitely think that there's technologies like that that are on the horizon that could make more of an assembly line approach to our history because it really is, I think, a search and rescue. It's not a search and recovery. Our history is somehow tied to our genetics our, you know, the, our, the, the way the rhythms work, the, the, you know, the Schumann frequency, the way the human body works, there's something about this global pyramid polygonal human genetic system that seems to be tied not unintentionally, but very intentionally with these large megalithic machines that we were building. And more importantly, we don't have eyes or ideas. We have our imagination on all the machines. And buildings that are not pyramids but could have been built out of wood or materials that were repurposed or rotted or burned or rusted or all the above and so our history is not only not complete but our assumption that all the buildings were just megalithic stone that's also it's not an automatic assumption it's just that the society that could have been living in and near the Grand Canyon uh, would could be very different from an Asiatic admiral empire with tens of thousands of marines coming out to land to explore uh central and southern america from china or from some other trade route we we don't have we don't have that contemporary information but we also have this mystery of the anasazi and even further back of this again this global network of megalithic advanced builders that could have been doing things in the Canyon that we have 120 miles of caves to go find them or, or, or the ones that we've already looked at. We're assuming that they got all the answers or that they've sorted through everything. And now I think, I wish I would have thought of it as far as a brilliant capstone to your point, the no one's climbing or getting out unless you have a helicopter on top of a lot of those plateaus, they're not doing it. So it's, It's up to one of us or a listener out there to help plan or get permission to do something like that and for us to start testing those soils at different depths. And it's unfortunately none of it's free. So sign up at Not Aliens.
1: (laughs) But you you did ask Marta about the underwater pyramid by Cuba. Um you know, I- Yonaguni is uh being um explored and, and it's been mapped out um, you know, so so as Dwarka if uh, we can get submarines down that deep to get photos, and you know we have that kind of technology to map out the ocean uh, floor. Um, <clears throat> you know, we're just you know the, the, yeah. the places in the Grand Canyon are uh, inaccessible to, or some places are inaccessible to walk to, but you can get a helicopter to some of them.
3: That, that would be an idea that would be, that would, that would be, uh, it would be brilliant. It would be great. I have a friend who's a pilot. He flies the Grand Canyon, but hasn't been there in a little while, but you know, it's not, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well you need so much money for fuel and to get the helicopter there, but then we need so much money for the testing Uh and that, that's the other half of it. It's like, we got to do the testing. But it's all it's okay. all gonna happen. It's just we have to prioritize, you know, where do where do we go first? What do we you know, which which one do we try to get in first? And which hilltop, which one do we suspect is the remnant of a of a villa that was easily accessible in the day and now it's now it's just a remote, you know, mesa top in the middle of the canyon. Is is there a location for multiple buildings a city you know are we missing uh what could be very ancient mining machines or materials that have uh crumbled or look natural are some of those side canyons as you, you know as you between the two sides of the canyon are there uh locations that we could look at that you know when you take the dust off of it they're not really natural they're they're actually uh artificial but we 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 don't have eyes on that and permitting is actually very difficult right now and it was actually something the paleoanthropologist that's been working on for 40 years and he's well respected he was actually he wasn't complaining he was just pointing out that getting a permit to do work in the canyon is becoming more and more difficult and it's like well why that's one question it's like why are you making it harder for us to search and rescue our history so that we can apply it back to gene technologies and therapies and and advanced equipments and you know fill in the blank there's a million reasons for us to want to improve again on on past technologies that I just don't think they built pyramids or polygonal walls or any seismic meta material down to engineered terra preta they didn't do it for funsies you know they they were doing it i think for very well 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 designed reasons and they're outside of our what what which is terrifying in itself it's outside of our understanding as to why they even did it that's what's it, really horrible
1: and you, know, you 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 were mentioning the permits uh to ex, uh, explore uh and that doesn't necessarily mean dig but does anything show up on uh you know say use using google earth
3: no um the details not there um so it it doesn't uh it doesn't get us to where we need to on the detail front
1: okay yeah it's so, um you know like uh lidar wouldn't be very useful um with, with there already being no trees but um maybe getting some of the <clears throat> like uh ground penetrating ra- ra- radar out there that that could help uh, to answer s- some questions
3: yeah. It, it would it, it, there is it would
1: and uh, Rex is a uh, a pretty sharp guy. Um it, it, what were his conclusions after his visit?
3: Well, you know, for him it was uh what well, was more complex. You know, we did more uh with it than you know, his other trips. And I mean, he, he had been Arizona, he's been to Arizona. He's, you know, he's done a lot of research on a lot of stuff and from the footage that we were able to review together and, and that we created together, there's definitely, um, it, it, it's, it's inconclusive. Like we said, on the location of the cave, it's not possible that it's where, you know, as described, it was, and again it's perfectly possible that the entrance has collapsed that it isn't uh-huh. in the same shape and it's hidden from us so we have to take that into account and now we got to go back and do the thermal work so we're in agreement on doing thermal work and uh that's about it we got to do the thermal work and as far as uh, other mysteries uh Did not expect to find out that they were building crane platforms to help remove, you know, the worst plane crash until we created the FAA and that they're polluting the river, that you're kayaking and boating and potentially, partially, accordingly, it's allegedly safe. So for everyone listening, it's apparently safe, but, you know, there is way more radiation than I wanted to hear about you know mhm-
1: well uh, there That's. Uh, uh wasn't there some kind of mining accident in Arizona within the last few years and there there was oh, gotcha. a lot of water uh some kind of contaminated water that to a stream uh a naturally flowing stream from some kind of uh, industrial site?
3: That one's ringing a bell. There's been a bunch. Um, I don't have a complete list. I did not know that I could, I have, I can tell you right now, I have hours left on the whole finding out how many mines have they shut down, how many mines are currently going to act or are acting on those 500 open permits. There's some, legislation going on that they're trying to end this work in the canyon but i don't know how you shut down america's uranium supply you know i don't you know if you find uranium you go get it and 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 that's kind of been you know that's part of our safety net Uh, you know as a country i don't think it's something to like stop doing however they need to do it properly and that's the part where i don't know if it's been done And yeah, so we're, we're not, I think for Rex and I, we did both very much want to go back before the end of the month here with this new equipment, uh, look at a couple other places, see what we can't sort out. Um, But outside of that, there isn't, and there isn't, believe me. And we looked in about an eight mile section for the Kincaid cave and it led us down these other roads, found out a lot of different info I'm now trying to track down to do an interview with the paleoanthropologist, Professor Mead, that had done the article with the Arizona Gazette about, like, you know, the ancient sloths and the uh, 40-mile cave. And and I've come Uh across some other experimenters working on aquifer studies. Like, there's some aquifers, or at least one, that's under the Grand Canyon that they don't really have an explanation as to where it came from. Uh, So there's that. And that's interesting. And it then, is. yeah. So there's there's a lot of information I'd like to bring to people that I, I am definitely going to include the there's 4K and 6K footage. Uh, I would like to put all that together into a more uh, organized documentary that I'll put out on Not Aliens and on you know on, on Not Aliens on YouTube. Feel free to look for me on YouTube and Rockfin. I'm on Rockfin, and, and there that's a member and a post thing, but I. Uh, the, there's so much when you have over 3,000 photos now and 55 gigs of uh, aerial photography, it's, it's just a lot of sorting, but when it gets done, uh, cause I'd really like to have uh, quite a bit of it done before I end up having to go back to the Canyon and shoot the same amount of footage or more <laughs> again. And okay. it, it'll be different stuff for people, but you know, it's a lot of work.
1: Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, Jared, we're down to about three minutes uh, left, and you you just mentioned you want to bring uh, uh, your adventures to people and help uh, you know put into perspective our history. Um, So, how can people learn more about? What you're doing you just mentioned not aliens calm and they can find you on rock fan uh, What other ways do uh, people? Uh, have a chance to well look at your information
3: Yeah, so yep not aliens calm there's the member area, the public area, which is going to list what shows I'm on. So like for this show tonight. So when shows are done and if they're available to the public and they're not behind a paywall, I always try to keep up on the I'm just getting caught up. The last couple months has been crazy. But I always post uh, links for everyone on my main page. You can always see what shows I'm going to be on next. Tomorrow night I'll be on Leak Project. Uh, I'm recording some things. But then, like you said, the Rockfin channel... And right now, I'm in the middle of doing a feature-length documentary that I'm hoping to be able to release to everyone the following Friday. And so you'll find me, again, on those three platforms. And as far as uh, uh, any, I'm not lecturing yet anywhere in person. Uh, There was a conversation about... um, Rex possibly doing his uh, event again this month. So there's a chance that leak project might be doing something and I might be lecturing live. Uh, but I'll have to keep you posted on that.
1: Okay. All right. So um, we're just about out of time and I wanted to thank you and Marta. We'll get the archive to you tomorrow. Uh, um and Barbara will be back Monday and I'm returning next Wednesday night with David Brody to cover his new book Pillars of Enoch. That should be an interesting book. So um yeah I want just want to thank everyone for uh tuning in and we'll see everyone next week. Thanks Thank you again, Jared, Mordo.